hello and welcome to Film Punch. We just watched High and Low, uh, Kurosawa's 1963 movie. I'm not sure which one it is, but I mean, like first, second, third, whatever. But uh, he did 1963, uh, an older Toshiro Mifune starred in it. And I'm here with... Eliezer. Laura. Uh, Al Kikuski. Neil. And I'm your host, Dave Klingerman. Um, so, High and Low is kind of two movies in one. The maybe maybe even three or four. <laughs> you have the the first like the the crime part of it, where the child is kidnapped, mistakenly meant to kidnap the executive's child, but kidnap the chauffeur's child instead. And then the police procedural as they try to capture the uh, kidnapper, kidnappers, and accomplices. Um, it's it's a fascinating, fascinating film. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you want to go ahead. go a little deeper into it, but I mean, also, uh, it's kind of it's kind of both a film about uh, you know the people up on the hills and the people in the in the middle of the valleys. It's kind of a kind of a film about uh, you know wealth and poverty and uh, kind of the contrasts between the two. Uh, set in Japan that's like uh, just climbing out of poverty themselves like uh, I thought it was interesting the uh, 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 the factory owner that this film focuses on focuses on factory owner maybe you want to take that a little bit more but the factory owner yeah well not the factory owner but it focuses on a manager who's working his way up the the manager at the shoe shoe factory yeah Yeah, but he's also like on the board of directors right 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 so he's working his way up through this and you know he obviously uh lived in poverty you know right after the war uh so it's just kind of interesting seeing sort of a lot of the intersection between you know uh these contrasting worlds throughout this film he's a driven individual initially does not want to pay the kidnapper ransom because it's not his kid (laughs) and he needs the money to buy out the um buy out the stockholders is that yeah buy out the the shareholders so basically uh he has uh he has his own way of running the division of the business yeah he he wants the shoes made a certain way and he can't do it and he can't do it because the other guys just want to make as quick a profit as possible And uh, so, as a result, he devises a plan to make sure that the other guys don't shut him out because mm-hmm. there's this disagreement, and it's obvious that he's being pressured to be pushed out of the company. So uh, he's trying to leverage what assets he has to buy out more of the company mm-hmm. and gain a majority ownership position of the company so they can't buy him out. Right. So as a result, then he'll be able to run the company the way he wants to, and he might be able to force the other guys out. Right. But then this child is kidnapped and he has to pay the ransom, which is the money that he was going to use to buy out the shares. Yeah, and so, literally he like mortgaged everything just yeah. to be able to get that money. Right. Yeah, so he had no way to raise any other money and it basically didn't want to pay it because he'd be destitute. <laughs> um, but he has a change of heart because he's a human being. <laughs> it takes him a while. But it does take it, him a while. I, I, I really like some of the scenes where they're trying to convince him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sort of shows like him off, like separated by a barrier from mm-hmm. everybody else. Yep. And he's stubbornly trying to, yeah. 
you know what I mean? Figure thing, figure that out. Yeah, so. his his wife was pleading with him. His son was pleading with him. His, the uh, child who was kidnapped's uh, father was pleading with him, and he just would not budge. And the police are even like, "Look, you need to say this to the kidnapper that you'll pay him, even if you're not going to, because that'll buy us time." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and at that point, I think, well, he he realizes that he really has. There's no reason for him to not pay. There, there's really, he, everything had been set in motion. The, the other guys, the other shareholders knew about his plan, his scheme, because uh, he was betrayed by his right-hand man. And so that sort of, I think, led to his change of heart. <laughs> hmm, that's interesting, man. Yeah. Like, this is a movie that, one of the types of movie that I absolutely adore because there's such incredible depths to it. If mm-hmm. you really want to dive into the movie and look at what it's looking at, showing about post-war Japan and what it's saying about ethics, morality, and uh, and the economy and the, the and the and how it just breeds in this resentment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It this is all there, but you don't have to think about any of it I don't think to really enjoy it I mean I I'm blown away by it every time I see this movie because it's just super exciting and tense and that first part of the movie Dave that you were describing is just this amazing pressure cooker of ethics mm-hmm. yeah I'm, and like to your perspective I have a slightly different one because uh, to this point, I don't know that he is fated to make the decision he makes. It does cost him everything because he says early in the movie, yeah. if I'm not making shoes, then I, I might as well be dead. Mm-hmm. So, and, and 30, the, 30, the ransom is something about for, for $30 million. To give it to, for, to save his own child is one thing. To yeah. give it to somebody else. Somebody that like that both that the person himself is shown as like someone is like of a lower considered a lower stature. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a yeah. real mm-hmm. big, uh, phenomenal ethical question that 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 his wife and his uh, mm-hmm. chauffeur and even the different police people all have. Yeah. They all yeah. are like yeah. surrounding him and giving him all yeah. these different yeah. impressions. Yeah. Well, what I, I I think I think one of the biggest uh, the biggest issues here is that because it was a child, they they're they're placing much more pressure on him yes. than if it was, you know, a crime involving, say, the chauffeur guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they said, you won't have your chauffeur back if I have ransom. <laughs> I don't think it would be quite right. the same. You know, yes, that's right. Quite the that's same right. kind of experience if that yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and visually, I, so we were talking earlier about how he's so good with using crowds. And so in those moments of, you know, he and even the people in the room with him had conflicting views of what is ethically correct. They were all facing different directions to the left, mm-hmm, right, right, up, yeah. down, mm-hmm. back, all during the scene, almost m- mimicking th- that indecision that's going in all of their heads, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, besides that, too, the other visual component that was super interesting is like just like kind of the visual markers for decision making that happen, where he's like pulling the curtain, like 
in the middle, like having to make a really big decision or perceiving that, he pulls the uh, the window or mm-hmm. the sliding door open yeah. and he steps outside and he's like, okay, please close the window. And then he does it again. And then like in a certain part of the film when he's very conflicted, he pulls the shades open, but he doesn't pull the entire door right. open. So he's like not fully making that decision yet. Mm-hmm. And I didn't catch that till you pointed that out. But <laughs> <laughs> And then with the, okay, maybe you guys would know this more than me, but during the same period, there was another director who used windows a lot, which was Alfred Hitchcock. And mm-hmm. I didn't know if one influenced the other or if that was a trend of the time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know because you guys are bigger movie buffs than I do, if you happen to know. I, I don't know well, the, fr- the number one comparison I guess you would make on here would be uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Sure. And I, I think <laughs> I think Hitchcock's was... I think Hitchcock's view is a little more... Uh, this is just my personal take on it. Yeah. But I think Hitchcock's view is a little more personal, like... When when he you're observing people through the windows of a Hitchcock movie, you're meant to kind of feel it's a little bit wrong mm-hmm. of you to do that. And I don't know. And I don't know. I'm curious as to what you guys whoa, think about whoa. about here. About when he looks outside, he, he um. It's interesting how he acknowledges that he wants the shoes he makes. By the way, I think this was super cool to make like a detective story, a thriller. Mm-hmm. About the, the trials and tribulations of a shoe manager. <laughs> like, that's just such a super cool the idea. Yeah, and, but, but it really works. I think it really works, yeah. especially because yeah. he not just wants to be just the quote unquote proverbial honest salesman, but he makes this really cool statement about that, like, that says, well, women wear hats for fashion, but the, a shoe is supposed to support your own weight. In other words, when he looks out the window, it's like he's he has some concern for the people on the outside. Right. And so I, when I look at this in this movie, I kind of feel it's a way of looking at the two halves more yeah. than like more than like the personal thing. So about I like think what is so so just, just a just a thought on the uh, comment about uses of windows uh, versus Hitchcock. Well, I, I think I think if you were to look at it maybe from a trend, there's there's a lot pulling from like film noir movies in the fifties and forties mm. and the fifties in terms of you know what I mean, people looking through windows and using oh, that as a means true. to box people in or provide, you know, yeah. uh, entryways into different areas or using windows blinds as a means to provide a prison or mm-hmm. you know what I mean, techniques along those lines. And that I, I was wondering if he was pulling Maybe not from Hitchcock, or maybe both of them are kind of pulling from the same tradition and just like using it in their own ways. Well, like Hitchcock, it's all, it's kind of cool that you guys brought that up because when the Hitchcock thing that he uses most often is about the innocent man who's wrongly accused, and this is a kind of a fun <laughs> yeah. twist on that, right? Because it's a guy who's put in a moral dilemma, but is it supposed to be his dilemma of what to of what to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Like there was a movie called Ransom with uh, uh, that came out a couple years ago. Which could be his custody testimony. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> I wanted to say that in this podcast, by the way. But 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 that's but that's a different, right? It's different when you're it's different when it's your own kid. But now it's removed. Like, what does it mean to responsibility for that person? Yeah. Yeah. And, so, uh, and you know when he thought it was his own child, he was like, "Oh, you whatever, whatever it takes to pay. No, no, yes. don't, don't call the police. It might, it might injure our son, and then it's not his son. And it's like, oh, well, there's I'll my son. The yeah, we'll call the police. And well, I'm not sure I'm going to give any money now. I, you know, it's not, yeah. not my problem. Yeah. That's, but I, and some of the like we briefly touched upon the framing, 
when he's saying these things and the father is in the frame and he's just like sinking down yes staring at the floor and it's just heartbreaking i know i know and every time you look at him throughout most of the movie actually he has his head drooped yeah in one way or another because the entire burden of everything going on because he's caught in the middle like i think he likes he likes his boss yeah and he like you know he obviously loves his son you know what i mean and he's he feels like there's a burden and there's mm-hmm. an obligation thrust mm-hmm. upon him by this situation because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to ruin his boss. Right. That'll ruin his own job security right. too. Yeah. So uh, it's just a lose lose situation yeah. for the poor guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I I know I know from Mufune from a bunch of other. He's most well known for samurai films for like the Seven Samurai and and Yojimbo, which was the inspiration for uh, A Fistful of Dollars, the mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood yep. series of films, and. Like some people, some actors have a particular vibe that they just give out. It just pours off of them on screen. And Mifune mm-hmm. is anger. He, the guy, yes. the guy is great. Oh, just, the guy God. is just great at being just anger and rage. So, just mm-hmm. so the, this is kind of a an absolute masterpiece for me. Mm-hmm. Oh because yeah. He is. He's clearly pissed, <laughs> but he has to hold that in in. In a movie that gives him every reason for having a raging, angry rant yeah. at things. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. He has to keep that, it contained. That train scene where he's just yes, <laughs> very, very intense with his yeah. money. Well, I mean, even at the very end, where you're you're seeing him with the guy yeah. they catch, and you see his angry reflection yeah. staring back at you mm-hmm. in in the mirror, and it's just this, the the well, eyes are just so. And intense. sometimes the two guys are one. Yes. Yeah. That's I think that last scene is really interesting to me specifically because we're talking about anger and we're also talking about windows. Because you can see in that last scene, I think, with that one with the uh the killer slash kidnapper looking out whenever he's saying something really emotional about his past or something, you see the the shoe company executive, like the store manager or the factory manager from his perspective. So you actually get to see like this whole you get to see what it feels like to be otherized, I guess, by like yeah. mm-hmm. looking at him from the side of the other through the window and mm. then seeing his reflection, his own reflection, and then looking at this killer or like a kidnapper from from the shoe manager's like perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with that, I, maybe you guys noticed this, but the reflection of um, Mr. Gondo uh, for the the killer was in front of the killer. Mm-hmm. And then the reflection for the killer for Mr. Gondo was behind him. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was very telling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. <laughs> well, that's, that's a really nice point. I mean, like, it's like his his reactions have been, like, his actions have been a reaction to the looking at the the looking at that house yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that bo- and like what did what did one of you guys said that point about like how people are contained like part of like the film noir tradition oh yeah yeah right? yeah how cool is that house right because it's luxurious but it's also so boxy there's no <laughs> there's no curves there's no there's yeah. no level of um there's no level of how would I say um comfort I guess I'm yeah not, sure. yeah well, it's, it's no, ultra like, modern it's very stark yeah. you know what I mean it, it was very like hip and contemporary if you were wealthy in Japan you got yourself a glass box uh-huh. that overlooks <laughs> yeah. you know something you know mm-hmm. yeah. and, then, and then like that 
that's just such a one of the great tricks that I think the movie does is to have everything be almost everything be internal in the beginning. It's all using the geography. By the way, this is a, the, the Kurosawa is a director who's known for doing these gigantic battle scenes and these mm-hmm. incredibly wide yeah. vistas. Oh yeah, been, he's been known for yeah. using this amazing sense of yeah. landscape, yeah. And giant amounts well, I mean, of wind we, and fog and We discussed and rain. that during Ron how you could. The shot was so far back, you could watch the uh, movements on the battlefield. You could watch like the direction yeah. change. Yeah, he'd have, he'd have maybe uh, hundreds of people moving yeah. in different directions all in one shot. Yeah. And it felt orchestrated and mm-hmm. organized mm-hmm. and not chaotic. So you look at a movie like that, and the first part of High and Low is him trying to do all this great direction inside a phone booth <laughs> it's so confined and yet it yeah. works so well it doesn't feel it doesn't feel to me anyway and i don't know how you guys feel about it it doesn't feel claustrophobic because it's so expressive by mm-hmm. where people move and yeah. when people go into the room and when they leave well, it's, well, it's I, so just well a whole story I, a whole I, world is done in that room i, I noticed uh, uh, yeah i really think what what makes that work is the fact that you have a big giant group of people and each individual yeah. within the group has a distinct uh, a, a distinct personality that's mm-hmm. being blocked off just by where they're standing and how they're standing yeah yeah and i noticed at one point there's a few of the detectives in the foreground and mifune is in the background uh, and as he moves like the detectives shift so you can then see you can continue to see him they don't block the mm-hmm. the view mm-hmm it's all very orchestrated and, and planned out. And there were some really cool moments, like uh, whenever Mr. Gondo was on the phone, he had his back to the camera. And, mm. I, and I, I thought that was really interesting. Mm. And then his wife and everybody else crowded around mm-hmm. because they were eager to hear what was on the other line. And like I felt that eagerness because I visually could not see him and I couldn't see his mouth move. Uh-huh. I got that feeling of I can't hear what's on the other side, and I thought that was really neat. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the the very first phone call, it just does a wipe, and then they play the recording, so you don't mm-hmm. get to see it actually play out in real time. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was that was kind of an interesting way to do it because you're you're all excited for it and then. The wipe happens. <laughs> like, wait, what happened? <laughs> yeah, where, whereas the later ones, it's all, everybody's hunched yeah. over, and you feel like you want to hunch over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's so much to, to unpack. And I mean, we're, we've only talked about the very first part. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, <laughs> again, on a mechanical level, just in terms of, like, how a movie can go and like thrill and excite people. I just love what this movie does. Yeah. That because that it, it, it because it almost like takes these parts that you would expect of a conventional action movie and make them like the biggest that they could be. You yeah. know, like like your average kidnapping movie would have a setup, and this is like the biggest setup. This is the most <laughs> epic twelve angry men <laughs> set, example of the setup that you could ever want. And then when you have the actual drop. The drop is the exact opposite. It's over on a train. It's all movement. It's all like the camera's zooming in mm-hmm. among yeah, all these yeah, really yeah, narrow yeah, passageways. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you always are hearing the clackety clacking of the of mm-hmm. the train and 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 where where is this potential kidnapper? Where is the is the is the kid alive or dead? And you're just totally on edge in here in a way that you were stewing in the first half. Mm-hmm. It's such a great and, switch. Uh, and 
like you mentioned, the the shift happens. You said this is the first time we've seen like the exterior of the house, and that's like the beginning of the the next part mm-hmm. where they they're they've done with the kidnapping story and are now like tracking down the, the kidnappers. Uh, I thought that that was that was an interesting thing that I had not picked up on before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, much of much of that part of the film until you get towards the end, mm-hmm. where things slowly become more and more yeah. boxed yeah. in, like the guy is being trapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, gradu- gradually, uh, it goes from being wide open spaces mm-hmm. to being more and more claustrophobic, mm-hmm. more and more like uh, images of bars or things that yeah. look like bars. Yeah getting in the way of things uh, mm-hmm. as the film goes along. So everything's wide open and expansive and gradually the film itself kind of narrows in on the suspect yeah. as the police are narrowing in mm-hmm. on the suspect. I didn't catch that, but you're so right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, cool, that's cool, Neil. And it, it harkens back to, like, I think one of my, I think Alfred Hitchcock's greatest tricks is that there's a scene in Psycho where um, Norman Bates is pushing the um, uh, is pushing the car with the dead body into the into the water, uh-huh. and then it sinks, but just part of the way. Uh-huh. And then the camera cuts to him looking nervous, and you, as an audience member, are like, "Oh my god, will, it make, will he successfully be able to cover up his murder?" <laughs> and he literally re-identifies with a crazy. He identifies us as an audience with the psycho killer. Yeah, it's kind of a similar yeah. trick of what's happening yeah. high and low, where where the confinement is coming from the cops righteously pursuing him. So, so that is just um, uh, that's just an amazing reversal. Mm-hmm. Okay. By the way, I was just saying, have a have a nice one. Oh, enjoy. Do you want to do a quick recommendation? Um, I think I would recommend. Um, we talked about Ex Machina, but I recommend that. I, think I still haven't seen that. You would really good. like it. <laughs> okay, it's kind of like a psychological thriller, and I think the aspects that I like the most are. The, the conceptualization of the film and there's some good cinematography in there like spread out in there so okay cool right. hope we'll see you again thanks yeah I really enjoyed it thanks you guys <laughs> see you around um so what was, it was it? we were talking about like how the movie how the movie is doing being more confined at yes. the end in an yes. interesting way yes, yes. Oh, the light I'm sorry oh I think I might need to adjust the light I don't know where I came uh oh don't get don't get stuck in there. Don't get stuck in there? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I'll only crack it. Like this thing actually exists. Like that. So, We've yeah, like really scared her about this bathroom. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, because I got stuck in there once. I couldn't figure out. The oh, that, that lock? It's, yeah, it's yeah. an interesting yeah. lock, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, things get more confined as it goes along. Yeah, things get more confined as well, it goes along. It starts out kind of, like we were saying, claustrophobic and confined. And then it opens up, and then it goes back to being, I think, well, even more confined. Well, even more confined, and the, the film actually ends with a uh, metal gate coming down. Yeah. And you're hearing the guy screaming in the yeah. background, and he's completely trapped and done yeah. for. Yeah. You know what I mean? On his way to his death. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. so he, he said he didn't want to talk to the chaplain. That was right before they were going to... I, I don't know how what their it manner may of execution have been days was, or if not hours, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I th- I thought was kind of interesting was is that uh, as they were getting closer and closer to finding him, they ended up in an area that seemed like it was near like an American military base because mm-hmm. you saw a lot of like uh, white white and black people in the area. Okay, yeah. Um, and you know what I mean. The only places in Japan where you see a crowd like that is like very close to where an American military base is. And I was mm-hmm. kind of wondering, 
I don't know if there if there was there was an intention on him having that as being part of that, or maybe that's where a lot of these ghettos are, and it, it's because you know what I mean. A lot of the the drug dealing is uh, you know as a result of people serving the military members, mm-hmm. you know, and that then there's a spill off effect. Yeah, I I I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, and and really, Japan is like one of the hardest one of the, has one of the lowest drug crime rates in the entire world. Hmm. You know, they're very good at like keeping them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have very strict drug laws. Like literally, uh, uh, you know, like you can't bring Dayquil in. They they don't sell Nyquil at uh, pharmacies there because they're so concerned about potential. You know what I mean? Drug sure. use that could come from you know the compounds that right. people is made right. out of. Mm. So interesting. But, I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I don't know. Um, it's interesting you say that because I mean you had this uh, people hooked on heroin and obviously you know like a, a crack house and uh, yeah, it was interesting that that was like a component. If there isn't like that. I, it was really close to the entertainment district where all the Americans were. Okay, maybe yeah. that had something to do with it. Yeah, that's okay. that's what I was wondering. Yeah. I was wondering if maybe you know this was sort of a shadow of, of the problems of post-war Japan. Sure, in that time sure. You know? Um, you know, and it may have been a, a subtle protest against the American bases. Yeah, in Japan. So. That's quite likely. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that portrayal of the kidnapper I find just amazing because now I, I've seen I've seen the movie five or six times and I still can't exactly get a handle on this on this guy he doesn't he be, and just it, the, the treatment is so fascinating because it, we, we get a look at him but we still at I don't feel at the end I really understand what yeah what, what 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 drove him, or if he was always that poisoned, or if it was the fact that like that he would look at that all these potential riches that were right there, but all were always going to be out of reach for him. That and it, that turned him. Yeah, to it be drove so him dark. a little mad. Or, right, right. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's resentment. I yeah, mean, that, that's what it is. It's just pure raw resentment. But you know, as a character as a whole, I don't understand anything about him beyond that. I yeah, mean, there's a difference between growing up in the slums of Tokyo and looking up at a, at a big rich house every mm-hmm. day but there's hundreds of thousands of people that live that way you know what i mean in that very area that would have a view of his house you and, know? and wasn't he a medical like intern so yes. yeah so he really he wasn't have... that horribly yeah badly so, off i would think like uh, they had the scar on his hand I'm like okay maybe he worked in the shoe factory or something and something mr gondo did caused a scar mm-hmm. you know it, I, you know i was thinking yeah. maybe something along but those I mean, lines I mean that's right. how he that's how he knew about that may have been how he had access to the heroin and whatnot was through through his medical background. Yeah, so. yeah it could right. be. Well, obviously the, the two the, the two people he uh, got his accomplices he knew them through his medical practice. Right. They they were talking about how um, he knew of them because they had come to him with withdrawal withdrawal symptoms or whatever. So and I assume he said hey if you do this for me i'll give you i'll give you more heroin <laughs> yeah and but his attitude it's not like he is a friend of the lower classes either. right 
No, right. that, that's uh, um, honestly one of the darker images I've I've in the movie, and one of the darker ones I've seen in any movie is that is a one three quarters of the way in when he's watching a potential target for like testing out if uh, this heroin would be fatal, and as she's just crawling and struggling, you just see him watching in the distance, mm-hmm. and it's just so fascinating to me because he's. He's just watching, calmly smoking a cigarette with these lights just reflected in the corner of his glasses, and that combined with his like pretty contemporary hairdo and his and his mm-hmm. very crisp white shirt, mm-hmm. thinking like it comes across to me like the most evil version yeah. of Tom Cruise from Risky Business. <laughs> just, just, that he's that he's just so observing, like it's a butterfly that he's gonna pin to a board or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The, the, the menace is so huge on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. He is not at all ethical towards the working... You can't describe him as a pariah of the working class because he's willing to kill that poor lady mm-hmm. just to get what he wants. He's willing to kill multiple people just to get... Just to, just to make sure that the heroin works right. the way he thinks it will. Yeah. And that's... It was completely, you know, cold and heartless. Right, right, right. Well, maybe maybe he's a mirror of uh, the cold and heartless business people that forced him out. Forced out the guy. I mean, maybe what the film's trying to say is that there are honest people in in all strats of society, but they're also scumbags. And now that you say that, that reminded me of the bald cop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Scratching his oh, head yeah. with his little yeah. finger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, but yeah, I mean, it, on top of all, right, I mean, on top of all that, in the, like, the middle part is, like, kind of, like, if they ever made, like, the miniseries of, like, Law and Order has a finale, this yeah. is kind of, like, the best Law and Order episode of all time. Oh, yeah. Every yeah. single detail you could possibly imagine upon, like, what the, like, the, the cars and mm-hmm. the trains and the node and well, the telephone booth. It, yeah, and they just, even found, like, a train, uh, a train a train who just yeah. knew he everything knew. about trains. Yeah. And was <laughs> I, I love, you know, he was, he was on there on screen for, what, five minutes? But, he, I mean, he was amazing. He was, like, one of the most memorable parts of the whole movie. It's like no, it's clack, 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 so much in terms of like looking at human darkness on the one side, right? And then looking at ethical questions on the beginning, mm-hmm. it still has time to do these just this this kind of top, yeah, top uh, um, uh, um, uh, interactions, with yeah. just, especially with the the bald guy who's like it's called the bosun. Just oh, yeah. like yeah. one one point, I love this one point where he goes and tells his his uh, partner. Like, now remember, you have to make sure that you don't kill those your cops. And he says, oh. and the other guy says, "No, that's not the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the problem yeah, here." Yeah. <laughs> Surgery. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's charming as all hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, I think one of the cool things in the movie also is that how the in the procedural, it's almost like the cops themselves have like a, a bit of a change of heart. Because I think one of the cops actually said, you know, I think it might have been the bosun who actually says, you know what, I kind of hated this guy. <laughs> oh yeah, with I, the company. Yeah. 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 But after I but after I met him, but now I don't know. And, yeah. And I think they get more turned and turned around for for Mr. Gondo's 
trials mm. such that, like, at the end, I think they might even be willing to bend justice a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I'll just say, yeah. but, but we gotta do it for this guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, they already bent justice a little bit because they could have easily just taken the guy in and they were like, Right. This isn't enough yeah. of a of a they, sentence to give him. We gotta get, got we gotta get him on something. They got worse. caught up in all of the oh, this guy is helping the community or the community is rallying behind him now. We have to do something to really stick it to this criminal, <laughs> to really put him away for a long time because he's really screwed over, Mister Gondo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I really liked that when you said to you know watch the the detectives as he was talking to his former right-hand man, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were loving every minute yeah. of that. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> that was, that's just some, I mean, uh, that's just something of a, one of the things I just adore about a Kurosawa, because when you watch a Kurosawa movie, where this from his like earlier films onwards, mm-hmm. this is a dude who cares about every little bit of, the, of what's happening on screen, and every bit informs and helps on every other little bit, because at that moment, they, he, the, Mr. Gondor had offered him a cigarette, but they, were, they hadn't smoked it yet. While he then upbraids his assistant right. to say, you stink and, and get the hell out. <laughs> then they both, the cops <laughs> nod at each other and go, then they take the cigarette. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, our dude did all right, man. <laughs> and that's just so, well, what that's I love, so cool. I love the moment where they first figure out that he's coming around, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they don't both look at each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're, you're, you're not even really focused on them, too. Like the first time I watched this movie, I was focused on Gondo, you know, I was looking up, sure. and I only sort of looked down to see the subtitles, yeah. so I wasn't focused on the, you know... Yeah, this time, I, like, I, like I think I mentioned, every time that the detectives were in the foreground, I was watching them. Like, I was kind of keeping an eye on Mr. Gondo as well, but I was watching the detectives because there was a reason that they were right there in the front where you could see them. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and, and just all the different ways that the movie shows how, like, the the environment might just have like be kind of poisoning everybody mm-hmm. like from the yeah. obnoxious attitudes of the executives I think it's super cool that when when um, Gondo's a little bit I, I'm gonna say that, I'll be honest at the very beginning when he when he's te- when he's like he's kind of a dick to his, oh, to yeah, his wife yeah, and, yeah, he's, yeah. 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 and he's just saying <laughs> no I knew you wouldn't be able to take it so I told I'm gonna I held off on my scheme until now mm-hmm. and when he's saying it he's actually surrounded by a table that's full of shoes yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> so so he's not meant to be I don't think he's meant to be just a good guy no 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 not, not meant at to all think that in not the at beginning. all yeah. so to see him put through the trial yeah. Have him eventually do the right thing is yeah. very cool. I remember the very first cool. time I watched this, I mean, I'd seen like Sanjuro and Seven Samurai, some of the other, you know, samurai roles of Toshiro Mifune. And on this, I'm like, oh my God, this guy is just a huge asshole businessman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, But yeah. then by the time you get all the way through it, it's like, like you were saying, uh, just like the, the bald uh, cop was saying, yeah, I really hated him at first. But I'm like, no, I don't know. He, he might be all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By the t- well, yeah, by the time the movie comes to the end, the environment could not be like you. Like Neil, you brought up about the noir. I mean, yeah. how noirish is it at the end? Like it's just these so narrow, the narrow yeah. alleyways, the the very distant shafts of life. And I think, well, I think one of you guys compared it to a zombie movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it like becomes like this. It becomes like a mo- it becomes like a monster yeah, film. Yeah, when, by when the he end. was in the uh, the crack house or yeah. whatever it is, the the drug den. Yeah, uh, the people were, 
when they see like the dealers coming in, it's like they're after their brains. Yeah. And then the, the dealers move on and they just kind of shuffle back to their mm -hmm. locations they were. Mm -hmm. And it was very much like a zombie movie. Mm -hmm. You know, pre uh, pre George Romero. Or when was well, that? Like like yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 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 the and the kidnappers' first entrance even reflects that because when they there's a great moment where they say where they're talk looking at the phone booth and they say they look at the house and they go you know what that does look like it's looking down on everybody yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then, but as as they walk off the camera doesn't follow them it right. goes to a pool and it it, it looks kind of stagnant and you actually see the little the house reflected in the pool and you see hmm. a figure reflected as it walks and that's our kidnapper hmm. i mean wow. i personally i adore i adore yeah, that stuff because wow. i adore that because what does that mean right it's right. literally a stagnant environment and that's where huh. the, that's where this comes up for them you know? But honestly, Blade Runner doesn't have, would have a run for its money at the end of uh, High and Low because there's so much smoke so coming out of yeah. Mysterious. Yeah. All, all it's missing is a couple of really big fans, right? They were moving shafts of life <laughs> right. To, right. to get the... I mean, the atmosphere you can get out of a 1960s-era Japanese slum is unparalleled. I'll just say that. Like, <laughs> I've seen a number of other media from this era in Japan, and I, it's, a, it's a kind of an ultimate noir environment. Hmm. You know what I mean? It might be why Blade Runner may have even took from that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because Blade Runner has that sort of yeah. orientalism yeah. in yes. its design. You know? true. Yes. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there... Well, one question I want to ask for you guys... I mean, how did you guys feel by the end of the by the end of the film? Because it is also it is, it's a thriller, but it's a long one. It's a it's a two hour and twenty minute yeah. feel, if not longer. Mm -hmm. So, uh, how did you guys feel at the end? Exhausted or or uh, blown away or, or what? Uh, when when we got all the way to the end, it was kind of like, oh, that's it. I mean, it was it was kind of like I expected I don't know what I was expecting but I wasn't expecting you know shutter comes down uh, Fune is kind of looking at the ground and then you, and I, I didn't feel like 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 you had said I didn't feel like I really learned why this had happened uh -huh. it was just like I, I got an idea of what his motivation was why but I didn't really know why why what he was saying had driven him to do what he did to try and get money for out of Mr. Gondo mm -hmm. because his house was up on the hill and he was tired of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. For me, and this is a corny analogy, I apologize, <laughs> but I, from the beginning to the end, I felt like I was on a roller coaster. I felt like I was on a ride because going into this, I knew nothing about the movie other than it was a Kurosawa movie. That was it. So I didn't know what I was getting into. And even throughout the movie, I didn't know where the turns were going to happen. I didn't know where it was going. Like other movies, you know, you can kind of see where it's mm -hmm. going. This one, I had no idea. <laughs> uh, it kept surprising me at every turn. And then yeah. at the end, it was kind of an abrupt stop yeah. in a way. Like the ride had just ended. <laughs> And now I had to go off and be on my way. Um, but, like, it was just a, a piece of time. Like, I had just um, 
I don't know, experienced a portion of time in these people's lives, and then I went on my way. It was kind of how I mm. felt. Yeah, yeah. Kurosawa mm. movies are generally an experience, so... Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so so the, thing, the thing that always gets to me with a Kurosawa film is they're always wonderful. There's always a huge amount of stuff to keep track of, mm-hmm. and particularly in this one because it's so much of a police procedural, it's yeah. really easy to miss a detail or two, mm-hmm. and you're trying real hard to like get all those details in, so... There are moments in this film, even though it is a very exciting film, you never know which direction it's going. Mm-hmm. There are moments where it's very easy to lo- get lost in the details yeah. Yeah. and miss things that are going on. And sometimes, sometimes for me, it w- I would be like, oh man, I want to figure out more. Yeah. So it's a little exhausting in a sense. Yeah. I'm saying this in a very good way. Yeah. Like All of his films are a little exhausting in a sense, uh, but uh, you always get this sort of, you always get this sort of like, idea of exactly what's going on Mm -hmm. you always get sort of a uh um you always get something where if you watch it over and over again you'll find more details yes um so as for the ending i actually really love films that end on abrupt endings that are a little um a little intense and not necessarily the most happy endings per se (coughs) and that's kind of how i describe this movie it's almost like an early 70s hollywood ending uh 10 years before that kind of happened uh, I know you love that. Yeah, and I, I, I really <laughs> like that kind of thing. So when it goes, when it drops down, you're like, wait a minute. Even though that was abrupt, it lingers for just enough time mm-hmm. that makes you realize that maybe you need to reflect on something. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, you're seeing the guy's reflection. So well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of reflecting. <laughs> it just, it just occurred to me that we, we actually saw at the end of High and Low the visual version of the ka-chunk noise that does the breaks in Law & Order episodes. Except Law & Order does that as well, a sense of, like, justice it, is on its way. Right. And this is a sense of, like, well, what do you think? So yeah. What's gonna come next? Right, right. And well, not only that, but you know, who's really in prison? Is it? Is it? Is yes. It, is, which side of the prison is really the prison? Yeah. Mm. You know, uh, is it the system as a whole that's imprisoning all these people? Mm-hmm. Is it? Uh, you know what I mean? This guy's actions that's yeah. imprisoning him. What? What is? What is the prison that's being and involved? It, it's funny that we keep bringing up Law and Order because when I first watched this. Uh, I was watching lots of TNT, which had Law and Order like a, several several times throughout the week, mm-hmm. and that was like my first introduction really to the original Law and Order, and yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. So then when I watched this, it really resonated with me because mm-hmm. I was like in that, yeah. and not that it didn't just resonate with me as well when we just mm-hmm. watched it, mm-hmm. but uh, I was like, oh wow, that was so cool. It was like an extended episode of Law and Order with yes. a it's lot of extra yeah. well, a lot well, of extra well, stuff I'm going to give a in. personal confession like Law and Order is my my mac and cheese of TV movie <laughs> I, I, I just I start watching it's like oh that's an interesting development there's something four hours have gone by right exactly <laughs> just, just, oh, just, just yeah. cool enough and, and, and let's, one more episode one more episode <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm the same way <laughs> yeah and I appreciated through the crime solving they and they didn't have to do this they really walked us through like oh well, we found there were, you know, a hundred uh, Toya Pets uh, uh, right. cars. Uh, there were, you know, six that were between these days, mm-hmm. and only one was the right color. Right. And they really, all they had to say was, we found the car. Mm-hmm. That's all they really had I, to say, but I, there was an enjoyment to yeah. following along and, and figuring it out. I really them. liked how they went, like, team to team to team. Like, yes. all of, everyone in that room had a purpose. 
everyone yeah. and, and even the team where they didn't fully develop their report that made it feel more real yeah where exactly. it was like well we had some potential leads but we'll give you a report tomorrow morning yeah <laughs> right then they give the boss and the boss and questions those executives are look they were assholes they were no <laughs> so i talked to the executives yeah. 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 right 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 and then you talk to the workers and the workers are like he was a good guy he was a good boss you know tough yeah. but good guy mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, the, and the bosses were like ah man thank god that kid was kidnapped <laughs> yeah and he's like there, they would have given the kidnapper a medal. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I'm sorry. You were you were gonna say. Oh, I, I'm so sorry. I was just gonna say that. So you could argue with some of those scenes that you could take those scenes out and it would be the same movie, but those scenes just added so much enjoyment. Right. Yeah. Like it, it wouldn't have been the same movie. I yeah. Think. So. I mean, I mean, I, I, I think, I think, really, the point that we keep getting at is just Kurosawa's incredible eye for detail. Mm-hmm incredible eye for detail mm-hmm. so. and and I, I it's also super cool that they point out those details of the procedural to give an idea about how comprehensive the police are and how thoughtful they are mm-hmm. something that is not quite given in the beginning when they're yes. hiding on the floor and they're like no 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 the body from the drapes okay at the very beginning I thought these cops were really incompetent like they were right. we were talking about Batman earlier they were like the 1960s Batman uh, cops like just completely like Chico completely incompetent that's interesting you said that because from my first my first thought of them was these guys are really smart because they came in the delivery truck in case anyone was watching right they would have no idea the police was there okay. but but they did say that's a little unusual with the delivery the delivery truck at this hour of the night but they came in they were in full you, the <coughs> illusion was complete they had the uniforms and everything so if someone did see them go in they'd been like that's kind of weird but they, you know, they wouldn't have thought a whole lot of it, and then they get in and they're like, "Oh yeah, we're we're the police. You know, close all your blinds. We don't want anybody to know that we're here." Right. I could tell that they knew what they were doing. They didn't just go up in their plain clothes or like in their uniforms. Mm-hmm. They they wanted to make sure they were doing it right. No, yeah. they needed to convince me a little <laughs> bit more because, <laughs> well, like. I don't know. I felt like in the beginning they weren't doing enough to help uh, Mr. Gondo with the situation because they're like, well, I guess you have to pay. And I, I, and think, <laughs> I think in the beginning that they didn't particularly like him. That might have oh, that might have played into that as well. Mm. That's a thought. <laughs> like they had a job to do, and mm-hmm. whether Gondo's mission, whether Gondo's business or his family succeeds or fails. Is of less consequence yeah. than to save the kid. Which right. is, to be fair, that's a righteous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a very. Uh, that's a. In one. I can't say noble because, and on the other hand, you completely don't care about him, right? That's. So there. It is at his expense in the beginning. I, I do think, see. Yeah, I see that. I think the police got more invested as it went along, as we did mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as things unraveled to the point where at the end when they're going to the hideout and they're all very intense and you know we're we're on a mission <laughs> yeah when they rescue when they rescue the kid they say all right guys now we've got to be bloodhounds to go and get into the kid. yeah and then then right when that happens we see them 
mm-hmm. uh, go through as every. It's, thank goodness there was no crime going on in Japan. Because every everybody <laughs> in the department. Every, and Kurosawa does a great job of showing like fifty people in about what fifteen different departments mm-hmm. are are all in on. Yeah, the and you can follow each group and you understand what each group's purpose is <laughs> and what what they're doing in each yeah. part of the scene, and it never becomes confusing. Right, mm-hmm. that's not just good movie direction. That's good army direction. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be able to move all these different people and make, yeah. have it all make sense to you as a viewer. And that is that's really what cool. he did with Ron with those huge battle movements. You could mm-hmm. tell what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And despite there being you know, hundreds of people on horses. Instead of being a, di- a director, he should have been a war general. In another <laughs> <time>. <laughs> well, Stanley Kubrick all had a fascination with his. The movie he always wanted to make was about Napoleon Bonaparte. And he said he always had a fascination with it. So, so the idea of <laughs> the idea of try, yeah. may, trying to yeah. go marshal your troops is, might have been something <laughs> on, on the on the eyes of oh, Kurosawa as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we should probably start wrapping up. Does anyone have any final thoughts? I think I think we've we've covered just about everything. Yeah, I, I guess the final thing I want to say is everybody usually thinks of uh, Kurosawa, you know, as being a samurai guy. Yeah. And uh, a lot of his non-samurai movies are actually really good too. Mm-hmm. And they are. everybody, everybody should check out this and Stray Dog, mm-hmm. and you know a lot of his other uh, even uh, uh, less traditionally yeah. thought of films because they're all really great films. Even that they tend to get overlooked. Yeah, even Redbeard, which is still set in the feudal Japan era, it's not really about samurai. It's just about a doctor trying to take care of people and a uh, a younger kind of internish kind of doctor who doesn't really want to be in this tiny little town he wants to big he wants to be in the big city taking care of people and he's humbled as he's with this uh Tishiro Mifune's character um taking care of he's very passionate about all of his uh his patients and you know he doesn't care that he lives in a little town he just he's just there to keep them well keep them alive but mm-hmm. yeah and I would just go and reiterate that that this movie is just phenomenal because there's just so many ways that people I feel can enjoy and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. When you see High and Low, you should check, everyone should check out High and Low, in my opinion. And then with, with when you see it, if you think about it later, no matter whether you think about the social parts of it, the psychological parts, the ethical parts, moral parts, or what have you, you'll be rewarded. You'll lead to more interesting things to think about mm-hmm. and. Uh, in on um, what the film has to offer, or you can just pop it in on the DVD and watch it again. And you'll, just have, and you, and you'll have a blast that way too. You, you can just it's, watch it as a as a normal Law and Order episode. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And you'll right, and you'll be thrilled and excited about it all over again. Mm-hmm. So I, I I love that about this film. Um, my final thoughts were: Well, this was my very first Kurosawa movie, and my interest is definitely peaked. Uh, I really loved this, and I'm really excited to explore his mm-hmm. work some more and uh, one of my pet peeves with current movies is a lot of them do very close up shots of the actors for the whole film uh-huh. and I don't get a sense of scenery. Uh, you mentioned earlier the movie Departed. I couldn't watch Departed because there are too many hmm. close up oh. scenes. Oh. Gladiator I love the music but I can't watch the movie <laughs> oh. because it's too many close up yeah on the actor's faces scene. Yeah. I want to see the whole scene and 
Kurosawa, of yes. course, like is a Kurosawa master. Kurosawa's your guy. So I'm oh, just like, yeah. so I'm just like, yes, this is what I need as a palate cleanser. Oh man, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you should you should definitely watch Ron because oh yeah, there are just whole scenes of giant armies. I would and then, love that. And then yes. you can listen to our podcast of it later and, and hear yeah. us all talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> especially, especially Angela, who went, oh my god. <laughs> I, I don't, yeah, she was blown away. Aww. And I wish I could have shown her more, but hopefully she'll watch some on her own. <laughs> um, and, if you, and if you really like the idea, if you really like this particular film in terms of like its sense of personal struggle, like what it did in the first third about what 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 can a person do uh, with his with his life and what meaning you can get from that then i can't recommend enough uh, kurosawa's film ikiru ikiru yes. is like i think one of the uh, 20 ikiru. greatest films of all time oh, yeah wow. yeah and it, it's 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 about a film about a, like a lowly bureaucrat who finds out that oh, he's yeah. suffered from a terminal disease and he it's what he does in his final moments that are available to him yeah. that is really yeah. stunning it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, and film. and it, it goes to prove to you that Kurosawa, even though he's known for these grand epics, can also do this for very small films. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, there's, what, three or four characters throughout the movie, and there really aren't that many. There's yeah. a lot of people in the various bureaucratic departments, but that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I also have Ikaru, because I watched that and fell in love with it immediately. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, with Kurosawa though, you, yeah. you have a you have a bounty to choose from. That's I've for sure. I've never seen I've seen films that I haven't cared as much for as others, but I've never seen a bad Kurosawa movie. He's he's amazing. All, all of them are good. All of them are good in one way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. And uh, anybody have any recommendations? Uh, one film that I would urgently recommend people check out uh, if it's still in theaters take a look at a film called Sorry to Bother You Sorry to Bother You is a is a movie a very black comedy about a a guy trying to go scrape some money together and he uh, works at a telemarketing firm and this telemarketing thing is shown in this really oppressive manner and he has to go through a whole some degrading things to get to keep his to keep his job, and uh, try and and he has to accommodate his job with the issues of people there to unionize and so on. So it's a very dark comedy, and it gets darker and it gets darker mm-hmm. and it gets stranger and stranger. The the energy and the creativity that you'll see in this movie. I don't want to say one other detail about it <laughs> except that it is one of the most punk rock movies that have <laughs> ever been made. It, well, like, when you hear a great punk song and you just go, I can't believe they did that. That's what this movie does. Wow. Nice. And, and what's I've, called? It's called Sorry to Bother Sorry You. To bother. Right. Okay. I, I've heard good things about it. So, yeah. You've never seen anything like it. <laughs> cool. So I'll have to I, check that out. I'm going to recommend uh, Blade Runner 2049. Uh, I saw that in not so uh, ideal an environment. I saw it in an airplane, you need very to, long plane you, flight, but I had nice, nice yeah. headphones. You really shouldn't own. have seen it in the theater. Well, yeah, but but uh, <laughs> I want to say that it's definitely an improvement, actually, on the original Blade Runner. I actually thought the story mm, was interesting. better than the original hmm. story, uh, and I felt that it it even though it is a sequel, and I'm getting tired of sequels and remakes and reboots. <laughs> Uh, I actually enjoyed it because it 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 um, 
You know what I mean? It was still a pretty solid story. You know, I'd say... Uh, and they weren't just rehashing. They the weren't just one. rehashing everything. It wasn't like, oh, look at me, I'm Harrison Ford right. again. It was... Yeah, you, you only see him for like, I don't know, half an hour. Yeah. So, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Ryan Gosling, like, is amazing as yeah. like a modern film noir guy. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> he's kind of the personification of it. So, I, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, it's like a big budget movie to check mm-hmm. out. Uh, I watched April and the Extraordinary World. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was recommended mm-hmm. to me by the Laura and Raleigh. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, but I watched that on the bus ride back, and I I really enjoyed it. It was a really nice little steampunky kind of yeah uh, kind of film. It's it's a it's a French uh, animated mm-hmm. film yep. that's drawn in the style of like uh, French comic books. Yeah. Oh. And, um, it actually, you know what I mean? They were trying to say, hey, people who like Studio Ghibli would like this because, I mean, Studio Miyazaki borrows very heavily yeah. from French comic books. Okay. So, um, so it's got that neat, like, very detailed, mm-hmm. very uh, yeah, um, just beautiful backgrounds, yeah. very nicely animated. Um, I mean, French comics are one half. Uh, DuckTales and one half The Fifth Element <laughs> so um, and this was sort of yeah. maybe maybe kind of in, in between those yeah, two yeah I'd agree uh, with that I mean in pretty much every French comic you can put it on a continuum between mm-hmm. DuckTales and The Fifth Element and you'll you'll get it yeah. you'll, you'll find you'll find what you're looking yeah. for so yeah set in an alternate reality where the like combustion engine never came to be so they're yeah. still using steam power for everything. Ah. Yeah, oh, the the production design's absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. Oh in yeah, that film. it's so, incredible. Uh, it's a really it's a really fun little uh, French adventure comic mm-hmm. film. Yeah, it so. is. April and the Extraordinary World. Is yeah. It? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's available, I think, on Netflix. I either oh, watch it on yeah, Netflix yeah. or Amazon. I forget which. Excellent. And then my recommendation is uh, about a, about a month ago I watched Icarus, which is the documentary that won Best Academy Award this year about the uh, Russia Russians rigging the Sochi Olympics, and that was just really fascinating. Hmm. Like there were points where it seemed like a spy movie, but <laughs> in less like a documentary, just uh-huh. because it goes into you know the crazy stuff that they did to rig this and you know to a point of you know sneaking into the labs where there there were the urine samples and it was you know showing you diagrams of like how they smuggled this out and all all the (laughs) work and expertise that went into rigging all of this and uh, about a lot of people whose lives are threatened because of exposing this whole thing and hmm. um, it was just really fascinating and hmm. real worth a watch if you guys haven't seen it. Hmm. So yeah, that's my yeah, recommendation. Check the that name out. of that one again? Icarus. Icarus. Yeah. Icarus. Icarus. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, uh. and it, it it follows the it starts with there's a American cyclist and so he actually starts by uh, working with uh, a Russian expert in doping actually so he actually dopes purposefully Mm -hmm. and records the process of it to try to win a race Mm. by doping and so that's how it starts you kind of learn about that process and then through it it got a lot deeper than just that project then he built a relationship with this Russian expert and the two of them together worked on exposing the whole 
wow. Russian Olympics thing, which wow. is really fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I will definitely check that yeah, out. That sounds like fascinating. <laughs> that one, I think, is on Netflix. That's okay. why I watched it. Cool. Um, all right. Uh, I think that wraps things up this time. I think I think we're going to do Jurassic Park, <gasps> the original, next, next month. Oh, my gosh. Yay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, join us. Join us for that. Uh, we're gonna do Breathless within the next couple months too. I think cool. I know. I know that's big for for the two of you. Yeah, I have never nice. seen any of the French New Wave films, so um, I, I don't know how I'll feel about it. But uh -huh. I have the Criterion Collection version over there somewhere. Um, well, yeah. Breathless is one of the gateway, one, yeah. gateway yeah, ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the Breathless French and, and Breath of, uh, Band Apart, I think, are the, yeah. are the yeah. most successful. So we'll, we'll see how I feel about Breathless, and then I'll I'll see if I want to delve further into it yeah uh but yeah join us for that and uh you can find us on twitter at film punch meetup and if you want to send us recommendations or have any comments or suggestions you can email us at filmpunch at gmail.com and we'll see you next time <laughs>